Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a brand new installment of the Don't Post That podcast. My name is Gerard, and I am sitting here uh, in the dining room of my apartment here in Austin, Texas. Uh, Today is Saturday, May 23rd. Uh, We are two days away from Memorial Day, and Memorial Day feels a little different this year, doesn't it? Um, It's usually the holiday that jump starts the summer season where you know school's out and you know the weather's turning and it's time to kind of kick off uh the summertime and it feels a little different this year obviously because of the current status uh, of of our country and uh, not just from a health perspective but from every other aspect of it as well uh, but certainly uh, the, the heaviest factor is, is definitely based on the current status of our country from a health perspective in terms of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's really kind of affected folks' ability to uh, celebrate a holiday they normally celebrate, even though they don't really celebrate it for the reasons that the holiday exists. But that's a separate discussion. Um so yeah, it's a little bit different uh, this year. I think uh, really everything's been different this year. Uh, twenty twenty will definitely be a year that uh, is is memorable for a lot of different reasons. Uh, obviously, the first half of the year hasn't been memorable for all the best reasons. That we just kind of hope that the second half um, will yield better results. You know, if you guys are familiar with the the uh, video that kind of floats around Twitter every now and then where as a kid, I think he's playing like high school football or something. And uh, I think his team like came back to win and they're interviewing him. And he's like, yo, they had us in the first half, man. I ain't gonna lie. That's kind of how uh, I'm hoping that we can talk at the end of this year uh, and talk about how the second half of the year was a lot better than the first. Um, but, you know, in that vein, I, the first thing I wanted to talk about is something that you guys more likely aren't even aware of, um, but uh, because of of what's happened this week, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. Um, those who are really close to me know uh, that I am a big fan of professional wrestling. Um, I don't really talk about it a lot because people that I'm close to don't really follow it, so... There's not really much to discuss, but uh, if you follow me on social media, particularly on Twitter, you know I'm a big uh, Abbott fan. Uh, I've been a fan since I was around 12 years old. Um, my step-grandfather, God rest his soul, uh, introduced me to it. Um, and, you know, I had friends, because I grew up uh, in the 90s, uh, particularly in the late 90s in the Attitude Era, and I knew people at school who watched it, but I didn't. And I could hear them always talking about, you know, DX or, you know, The Rock did this or Stone Cold did that. Or, did you watch Raw last night? Blah, 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 blah. Um, my prominent years growing up as a kid, SmackDown didn't exist. So it was only Raw, um, on Monday Night Raw. Uh, so people would come, come to school on Tuesday talking about, oh, DX did this or whatever, whatever. And, and I never watched it. Um, so I never really partake in the conversation because uh, if I'm being honest I was one of those kids that was just like oh, I already it's fake anyway so I don't really, I'm not really interested um, but my step granddad watched it and so when I would go to his house or my grand, my grandma's house um, you know when whenever it was on he would be watching it and 
he kind of was like, you don't like this? And he was just kind of like talking me into watching it with him. And I started watching it with him. And then I started watching it at home. And, and I got I got hooked. And um, I remember... This story is going somewhere, by the way. So just hang in there. Uh, I remember the first show I went to uh, was a pay-per-view. It was uh, WWF Fully Loaded. Uh, it was in the year 2000. And it was uh, in Dallas. Uh, and they had a triple main event. It was um, Chris Jericho versus Triple H was one of the main events. Undertaker versus Kurt Angle was one of the main events. And then it was uh, The Rock versus Benoit uh, for the WWF title. Uh, and the stipulation, I think, was like if, if The Rock just got disqualified, he lost the title. And I remember that match. Uh, Shane McMahon was uh, was uh, in uh, Benoit's corner. And they did some shady shit. And uh, The Rock got disqualified. And... Ben won the title, and then I remember Mick Foley coming out and restarting the match. And of course, after that, The Rock won the title back, or whatever you, however you want to say it. But um, after that, I was like, "All right, I love this shit." Um, so I, I watched it uh, through through like you know middle school, high school. Um, there was a time from like maybe oh oh five to like oh seven where I didn't really watch it, um, and then I watched it a little bit. In 08 and 09, I picked it up really in 2010, um, and and uh, just kind of kept it after that. Um, the reason why I bring it up is because uh, there, you know, a, professional wrestling fans, specifically uh, adult professional wrestling fans, um, catch a lot of flack from non wrestling fans, and uh, it, it kind of leads us to kind of bond as a family um now obviously within your within everybody's family there's bickering and there's infighting and stuff like that um and from a wrestling fans community perspective it's kind of your favorite whatever your favorite uh wrestling organization is whether it's wwe or you know new japan or AEW or impact or ring of honor or whatever um you know from that perspective there's some kind of infighting there about who's got the better promotion um but as a whole uh, professional wrestling fans, particularly adults, uh, we kind of bond together as a family because we kind of have to, um, we have that bond that, that, uh, not a lot of other people have, uh, because of the fact that we, we have a love for something that gets criticized all the time and, and the public eye. Um, this week was a little difficult, um, because it started out, um, where uh, a gentleman by the name of Shad Gaspard, who uh, was part of a tag team in WWE called uh, Crime Time. Um, and he was part of, they started, I believe, in 2006. Um, they left in 2007, and they came back in 2008. But anyway, um, they were a pretty popular tag team in WWF, WWE. And... Um, uh, they got over like Rover man, and and uh, you know if if you guys ever get time, um, and you know if you're ever bored, I would just look up like Crime Time uh, on YouTube and just look at some of the stuff they did. They were fucking incredible, man. They were awesome, and you know not. I mean they were good in the ring. They were good in the ring, but they're just super charismatic, funny as hell, um, big personalities. And, and one of the guys, a big guy of the group, uh, his name was Shaq Gaspard. Um, he was uh, a guy who 
uh, a lot of people love just not just fans but but as things progress this week we learn a lot of uh, fellow wrestlers fellow athletes uh, felt the same way and admired him and, and adored him in the same way um, this earlier this week uh, he was uh, reported as missing uh, he and his son had gone swimming uh, somewhere in Santa Monica Pier in California and um, they got uh, caught up in a, a rip current and um, the lifeguards came out to to rescue them. Uh, when they got there, uh, Shad was was insistent that they got his son first and took him to shore and they came back to get him. Um, so they did that, and one of the the lifeguards um, actually said to the police that after they got the son back to shore, uh, he was getting ready to head back out to get Shad and he, he could kind of see that he had got taken under by by another wave that had come through another current that came through um, so they were looking for him and they couldn't find him um, and this this search lasted for I would say probably like three days um, and I believe it was Thursday of, of this of this week um, Thursday morning um, uh, the police were called because a body had had um, had washed up the shore and um and identifying that body uh as, as shad um it's 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 i don't know how to really equate this to anyone that doesn't really watch version of all the wrestling i would just say you know if you have a favorite tv show and you know let's say you watch the grays Grey's Anatomy, and there was a character that was on the show for a couple seasons, but they're no longer on the show. Um, but you really like the character a lot, uh, and maybe catch keep up with them, doing other projects and other movies or shows, um, and it'd be the equivalent of them, you know, suddenly dying. Um, that's kind of how it feels uh, about Shad, and um, that was tough. Um, just because everybody that's been, you know, there has been an outpouring of, of uh, support and and just well wishes from from uh, former you know coworkers or former you know wrestlers that that uh, shared a locker room with him, um, some that didn't even just knew the type of person that he was. And um, there's a, a video that uh, surfaced last year. Cause it happened last year, uh, but it's kind of resurfacing again with all this. Um, him and, and another uh, wrestler uh, whose name is MVP, uh, another black wrestler. I don't know if I mentioned it, but Shad, Shad and Crime Time was a tag team. It was a black tag team, uh, very popular. Uh, but MVP was another black um, wrestler during that same era that, that was gaining popularity as well. Um, and, and there was a moment where those two were at a bar, looked like watching WrestleMania last year. Um, and Kofi Kingston, who's another black wrestler, um, won the WWE Championship at WrestleMania last year. And um, he was the first black wrestler, really, of our generation to win a world championship. Um, or win the WWE Championship, not a world championship, but the WWE Championship. Um, so it meant a lot um, because that representation meant a lot to black wrestling fans and to black wrestlers as well 
and there was a lot of raw emotion when he won between Shad and MVP and that video just showed them, you know, embracing each other and kind of crying and just understanding the magnitude of what they just witnessed. And um, Shad was kind of that, you know, from what I could tell, obviously I didn't know the man, so I can't speak to knowing him personally, but just the things that I, I did see from him, he was the type of person who shared in the success of other people and, and enjoyed that more than his own. And, um, there were a lot of people uh, in the industry who were really taken aback by this loss. And so um, I'm bringing it up, uh, A, because it means a lot to me, and B, because it, it's it's just something that I feel like I should I should bring up and just offer my, my sentiments and my condolences. Um, so that was tough this week. But then on Friday, late Friday... Um, there was word of another wrestling death. Um, this one was uh, a young lady by the name of Hana Kimura, who was 22 years old, um, and she wrestled for for a promotion called Stardom, which is uh, a promotion that is just women, all women wrestling promotion in China, or Japan, excuse me, um, and a lot of current WWE superstars, uh, women superstars, uh, were in this promotion. Uh, this young lady was currently in the promotion. She was 22 years old. Um, she uh, uh, apparently took her own life. Um, and, and a lot of the the assumption is it being due to cyberbullying. And that's tough. Um, both are tough for reasons that are separate, but a common theme between the two is they're both sudden and unexpected. Um, you know, Shad was, I want to say either late thirties, early forties, but she only was 22 years old. So she was still, you know, uh, had her whole life in front of her. So that one really is tough because of that. Um, and cyberbullying is a thing, man. And I know a lot of people kind of brush it under the rug and, you know, don't think it's a big deal. But I think it's very important to acknowledge that this is a thing. And it's something that people should really get a hold of. And, you know, it's fun, you know, kind of joke of folks and, and people like to troll and all that type of stuff. But, you know, there is limits to it. When you When you tell someone they should kill themselves and that you hope they die and stuff like that. You know, that's just next level shit. And, you know, for folks to do that, I always just kind of say, hey, man, like, if you had a significant other or a spouse, I mean, I'm sorry, or, or, or a sibling or a parent or a family member, um, friend that you were close to who was told that type of shit, told to kill themselves, told that they were a piece of shit, they're worthless, they shouldn't deserve to live, all this stuff, and then they took their own life. How would you feel? You know what I mean? So it's just tough. But anyway, I, I this is a really weird way to start the podcast, but I just felt uh, it was necessary to mention these two people, um, Shad Gaspard and Hannah Kimura. Um, thank you for your contribution. Uh, thank you for entertaining us, and may you rest in peace.
All right, you guys. So next topic to discuss here is is an interesting one. Um, you know, it's 2020, and we are in the middle of hellacious times. Um, I think that's probably an accurate way to describe it. Um, 2020, along with you know being a leap year, is also an election year, and um, there was a lot of I guess, cautious optimism in 2016 um, when the primaries were running because it was pretty clear that uh, Trump was going to get the the Republican nom. Um, I think from, from the opposing side of things, there was some sort of optimism um, that Bernie Sanders would be getting the nod from the Democratic side of things, uh, mainly because we just felt like, and I say we loosely, but mainly because the the, pro, the thought was just that, um, as far as the actual overall process goes, um, the general consensus was that we we would feel a lot better with Bernie being able to handle Trump in a debate over Hillary. Um, and somehow, some way, which we're not gonna get into how, uh, but Hillary got the nom, and it was on from there. And you know, I think there were a lot of signs that we kind of ignored going into the election uh, in 2016, just because there was a lot of dismissive thought about, well, Trump, they ain't really voting for Trump. Like they out here, you know, they campaign, and he's getting a lot of fucking idiot people that are out on the campaign trail with him they are just eating all this shit up and they may even vote for him but he's not gonna win and he won and uh, 2020 is turning out to look a lot like that um, for those who aren't aware uh, the assumed Democratic nominee Joe Biden uh, was on the Breakfast Club this week. Um, I haven't got a chance to look at the whole thing because it just happened yesterday. Um, I'm not sure if it was just Charlemagne or if, if it was all the Breakfast Club, but everything I've seen it was just Charlemagne, so it may have been that. But who knows? Anyways, it's irrelevant. Um, they had Charlemagne and Joe had a pretty consistent back and forth. Um, where Joe was getting really defensive, uh, particularly about the crime bill of 1994 um, and, and what it did to folks who um, were minorities uh, in terms of getting or, or um, um, leading to extensive sentences for stuff that just didn't really fit the bill in terms of the actual crime itself. Uh, one of the more prominent things was how... Um, folks were getting uh, more time for being in possession of crack cocaine than, than they were for actual cocaine itself um, because crack was more of a urban, quote-unquote, urban drug um, and cocaine was more um, of an elitist, not elitist, but, you know, it was, it, it was a white drug, if I'm being frank. Um, so that's just one example of the inequalities that existed because of uh, the as a result of that crime bill 
Um, so Charlamagne was asking questions about that, and he kind of referenced when Hillary was there in 2016. She talked about how, um, in hindsight, you know, the crime bill did really cause more harm than good, and that she wanted the opportunity to uh, kind of right those wrongs, you know, by being elected president. Uh, and, and Joe, instead of acknowledging those things, they kind of talk about how um, it, the bill itself is misunderstood based on what it, what it did um, and how it was not meant to be to cause inequities, but it was actually meant to make things more equal. Uh, that didn't work, obviously, um, but he kind of talked about the intent. But he didn't really show any sort of remorse for the impact that it had uh, after it was after, after it was signed into law. Um, that's not even what the big deal was. Uh, the big deal was when they were wrapping the interview up. Um, there's a clip that's all around town. If you haven't seen it, you can easily find it on YouTube or, or, or Twitter. Um, but basically, you can hear a third voice who's got to be someone in, in, in Biden's camp just basically kind of wrapping up the interview and thanking Charlemagne and all that type of stuff. And, and um, uh, Charlemagne just basically said, hey, man, you know, Thank you for your time. We got to have you come to New York when we open back up uh, and can talk in person because we have a lot of time between now and November and there's still a lot of questions that need to be answered. And uh, Biden responded by basically saying, you know, if you still have a question about where the vote for me or Trump, then you ain't black. Um... And Charlemagne's response was really more of saying, I don't give a damn about Trump. I'm talking about, from a black perspective, what are you going to do to earn our vote, essentially? Um, And so, Biden's response was very polarizing, is probably the best way to put it, um, on Twitter. And just online, just, just... in general, uh, in, in the media, in the eyes of the media, um, a lot of people were quoted by quoted as saying, "Hey, what he said was right, but he wasn't the one to say it, uh, or he shouldn't have been the one to say it." Uh, some folks just thought he was wrong, um, so it was kind of a mixed bag. And, and it was there were people who were saying some stuff that was really surprising to me. Jamel Hill said that he was right, but he shouldn't have been the one to say it. Um. And there were people who were opposed to. I, I saw one clip where a gentleman was was opposed to Jamel's take, but in a different way that I thought he may have been, where he basically said that, you know, she was wrong for siding with Biden, and that, uh, which I was like, okay, uh, all right, I'm with you so far, kind of, and then he just completely turned and was like. If you want to be on the side of someone, you need to be on the side of Trump. And how, like, Trump is the only person who's done anything for black people since he's been president. We've had the lowest unemployment rate, you know, way lower than what we had under Obama and all this other shit. So he's mad about uh, Jamel defending Biden, but double down, doubling down on siding with Trump. So I was like, ooh, I thought you were going to take that somewhere. Um... So for me, how do I feel about this? And this is kind of one of those things where I wish I had somebody else here to 
to have a like a, a, a discussion to bounce ideas off of. But for me, it for me it doesn't matter whether he's right or wrong or what have you. Um, what matters is the comfort level that he had to feel like he had the authority to speak upon someone else's blackness or lack thereof. That is the issue for me. You can have your own opinion about whether it's black, quote unquote black or not, to do something. Um, But that's a separate discussion to me. To me, it was him having the audacity to assume that he had the ability to speak on someone else's blackness. And that just epitomizes the comfort level that Democrats have with the black vote. And they their assumption that they don't really have to work for because it's just that's just how it is. If you're black, you vote Democrat. So they don't spend a whole lot of time trying to sway you one way or the other. From a business perspective, I get it. Um, if I'm thinking about it from a business perspective, all the campaigning and all the you know going to certain areas and you know having rallies and stuff like that, all that costs money. And so, if you're a candidate and you look at a specific district or state or country or or, or uh, sorry, district or city or, or state, um, you could look at a particular region and and have the confidence based off of historical data that says I'm going to get this county or I'm going to get this city or I'm going to get this state I'm going to get these electoral votes so to speak if you have that historical data that supports that then you're not going to spend as much money campaigning in that area because you want to focus on the areas that may be either you know you may have a slight lead over your opponent or you may be you may have a deficit right you're trying to close that gap if you're behind and you're trying to extend the lead if you're ahead right so if it's an area that you already feel confident that you've won you're not gonna spend as much time in that area because time is resources resources is money right and these folks have a limited amount of money to use or to 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 uh to distribute based on where they feel the most need uh exists so I get that, right? I, if I put my business hat on, I understand the logic behind that. But even if that's the case, and even if you're Joe Biden and you feel like you have the black vote, he mentioned in this interview, by the way, that he had more votes from black people than Obama did. So he's already feeling like, I got this shit. I don't have to do nothing else. I got this shit in the bag. Y'all gonna vote for me? You niggas is gonna vote for me? You do it. You already did it in the primary. You gonna vote for me in November. So I'm not really worried about it. He's got that cocky attitude that set him up to fail because now he's in the he's of the belief that just what he said. If you don't vote for me, if you vote for him, that means you ain't black. Which is like Why are you why 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 would you feel okay saying that to another black man? Like forget about saying it, period. Why do you feel comfortable enough saying it to another black man? 
or to a black man, not another one because he's not black, to a black man. The privilege it takes to be able to assume that something that out of line is okay is crazy. But it exists, and we saw it, so we know it exists. This is really difficult, man, because it's like, what do you do, right? And I've been saying this for the better part of, I would say, I would say for sure this year, and I kind of was was mentioning it at the end of last year too. Trump winning again, and I and I said this before COVID, like I feel like. Trump is going to win again. And he is doing stuff to kind of add to that. He's doing things currently that, to me, are tactics to try to make that theory into fact. And I'll talk about one of those things here in a second. But to put a bow on this Biden shit... I'm interested to see how black folks are going to respond to this. Uh, we're 24 hours and it just happened yesterday. And I don't like the responses I'm seeing because it's kind of turned into infighting, which is not what we need to be doing. Um, where folks are debating whether or not what he said was right, which to me is like skirting the actual issue. Because the actual issue is this man has gone to form an assumption that he has your vote regardless. Because if he didn't feel that, if he didn't have that sense of security and the belief that he had your vote, he would never say anything like that. But he feels like he's done his part. Like, I ain't got to do shit else for them black folks. They're going to vote for me regardless. So it goes back to what I was mentioning earlier. What time and resources did he plan on spending in the black communities trying to get to to have them uh, actually see him and him actually see what they're going through and their what they're experiencing to get a better idea of the shit that we want to see changed so that he at least can get an eye on it and understand it from from an actual perspective where you are in the trenches and you see what it is that folks are, are are having issues with. Based on what he said, he would plan a campaign in nowhere really like that was that, you know, ethically dense. Like he he thought it was in the bag already, you know? And he still does. He did have to recant a statement. And he did that later in the day, but that don't mean shit. You already said it. You said it in a way that was very comfortable. Um, whether you were joking or not is a separate discussion because even if you were joking, you shouldn't joke like that. Why do you feel comfortable enough to joke like that? You know what I mean? So it's difficult because when when it comes time to vote in November, which everybody should vote, because if you don't vote, what are you complaining about? You know what I mean? Um, it's a tough it's a tough thing to do, man. And um, I just wish Elizabeth Warren was able to 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 give this thing a shot and, and was given the the credit she deserves and given the opportunity she deserves. 
Um, so it's unfortunate to see where we are now with these two. And it reminds me a lot of 16 because, you know, you look at what happened with 16 and the, the choices we had. And it was just like, this is this is who we had to choose from. Um, and so it was very discouraging. And But even at that point, it, it still was like, all right, we only have these choices to choose from, but Trump ain't going to win, you know, like, you know, and, and for him to win, it's like, okay, and then, like now that, that that's happened, I can't put it past him to win again. And I think he will. I think he'll get reelected. And it's unfortunate because he doesn't deserve it. But, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you have to show that you should have to show. I'll say that. You should have to show why you deserve to be the president of the United States. You should have to show that. Um, and Biden is, is it's, it's crazy because to me, Biden, all Biden had to do was just not be Trump. <laughs> like, if you could just not be Trump, if you could have some sense of like common sense and um, the ability to say the right things at the right time, even if you don't mean it, if you could just play the role better, you're going to get the part. You know what I mean? It's like, you, you know, come on, bro. Like, he's like the the um, the first. Uh, <laughs> y'all are not going to understand this reference. I'm not going to say it. But it's just like, you know, let's say you have someone who's, who's acting or out a role on a TV show. And that person stinks as an actor. Like, you watch that show and you're like, you are trash. Like, you are not good at this acting thing. And then people complain about this person on social media or whatever. Like, oh, he sucks as this role on this show. And he's terrible. He's not good. Nobody likes him. Blah, 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 blah. And the studio hears this and says, well, damn, we got to think about changing this guy. We got to think about replacing him. So let's look at our options. And then you get somebody that comes in. And on paper, he looks, well, not on paper, but on surface, he looks great. And so you bring him in for a casting call. And you look at him, and you're like, oh, he looks the part. Like, this could be it. And it's just like, as at the studio, they look at him, and they say, hey, man, all you got to do is not fuck this up. Hear your lines. You don't have to memorize them. Just read them shits. Read the lines to me right now. And if you sound halfway decent, you got the job. This is Biden, bro. They, he has a script that his team gives him. Stick to this fucking script, bro. Don't, don't deviate from the script. It's like Trump. Like, I know his people are like, bro, do not deviate from the script. And as soon as it gets up to the point, the first thing he does is deviate from the script. And they're just like, God damn it. All you had to do was just read the fucking page on the fucking projector or whatever. Like, bro, just read the fucking page. I print it out for you. It's in this big ass font and then laminate on top of the podium. When you walk up to the podium, all you got to do is read what's on the fucking podium. And you can't even do that. Now you ever tell people that they can get cured from UV rays and drinking bleach and shit. All because you didn't read the fucking page. Right? Like, I know their team has got to be like, bro, just read the fucking page. Biden, all you had to do is read the page, bro. And now you look just as dumb as him. Not as racist, but definitely as dumb. Definitely as dumb for sure. So, you had the opportunity to read for the play, read for the role, and you fucked it up. Why? Because you can't read off the goddamn script. You're too smart for your own good, Joe Biden. 
You couldn't just stick to the plan. You had to deviate from it because you thought you were smarter than the plan itself. And now you look like a fucking idiot. And so now, come November, we're fucked again. Because to me personally, it doesn't matter who wins. It doesn't matter who wins. Biden wins. He got to spend the, 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 the first two years trying to swim upstream to get Congress to go his way. So it's just like, you're fucked, bro. We are fucked. We are fucked. Sorry for no optimism there, but unless something changes in the next five months, which I have no reason to believe that it will, we're fucked. We got, we're choosing between Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Whoever's less racist will, at least less racist in public, will win. He's, bro, read the fucking script, Joe Biden. Why are you deviating from the script? I didn't want to vote for you anyway because I wanted to vote for Elizabeth Warren. But it's like, bro, if you're the person we have to choose from this, like, okay, well, you know, dance, nigga. Like, you know, show me why I should choose you. And you're not even doing that. Like, so now he's going to go get this, you know, running mate that's a black woman because he already committed to getting a woman. So now she got to be black because of all this shit. And so it's like, now I got to look at her and be like, bro, you really, you really think that, we believe you really think this nigga gonna really do something. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just now I pushed him in the bad spot. Now I just hope it's Kamala Harris, cause if it's Kamala, then I'll feel like really good about not voting for him. <laughs> like I'm like, all right, well this is definitely like okay, cool. Um, you know, uh, I don't know, man. This is just really discouraging. It's really discouraging, and you know, I don't know what he's gonna do to fix this, but. People have such a short-term memory that it may not even matter. It may not matter. He can go fucking go to Atlanta and break ground on a new, you know, uh, Martin Luther King Center or some shit, and niggas might eat that shit up. And just forget that on May 27th, he came out and said that you ain't black if you don't vote for me. Welcome to politics in 2020, man. This is, this is, this is peak, peak. 2020 right here. This whole thing is peak 2020. Alright guys, so in the same vein um, of politics and all the bullshit that comes along with it, um, I'm telling you guys, Friday, yesterday was a day, man. Like, it was exhausting. Um, your president uh, came out during an impromptu um, presser and demanded that places of worship be deemed essential and that they are reopened uh, and ready to um, I guess hold services starting or be ready for tomorrow, Sunday. Um, and also implored the governors to ensure that this happens and also threatened that if they didn't do it, that he would override them and do it himself. Now, I know to some people, politics is very boring and there is a lot of nuance to it that people don't really know about, but um, let me just be... Uh, a person to let you know if you're not aware that motherfucker had no grounds to do none of that shit he talking about 
he has no grounds to override any decision. If a governor decides that his state is in such condition that he doesn't feel that opening places of worship is the safest thing to do at this point, he has the right to not do that, and the president does not have the ability or the authority to override that decision. I don't understand how someone who's been a president for four years now is not clear on his the bounds of his authority. And he may know. He may know that he can't do that, but he also is more than likely aware that the fucking morons that have voted for him are stupid enough to hang on every single word that he says. And this is extremely... And it's extremely a political tactic to basically show, hey, I did the best I could. I told them they need to open these damn churches. They need to open these places of worship back up. And if they're not doing it, then that's on them. That's not on me. That's not on me. My hands are tied. I've already told them they need to go do it. Um, so he can look at his, his supporters and say, I told them to open. They wouldn't do it. It's not my fault, right? It's just frustrating because... If you have any sort, any sense of common sense or, or any sort of ability to put two and two together, you know that this is all bullshit and it's a ploy to make him look good to people who may be on the fence about voting for him. And so it's frustrating as fuck to know that it's possible that this tactic will work and that people who are so... Uh, I don't know what word to use that wouldn't be inappropriate, but... People who are so gullible, that's probably the best word to use. And people that are gullible enough to believe this will eat this up and be like, he wants us to go back to church and he wants us to have an opportunity to praise the Lord. And I appreciate him for that. And you terrorists that won't let us open up and let us worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're terrorists. This is not his fault. He's doing everything he can in his power. He told me himself, I'm doing everything in my power to get these places of worship back open. And I appreciate that. It's these damn terrorists at CDC that won't let me worship in peace. It's unbelievable, bro. It's unbelievable. And if I offend anybody with that accent or that line of thinking, then... Fuck you too. At the end of the day, this may be feasible. This is not something that I want to come out here and say there's no way churches should be opening back up. I don't know. I think every case is different. I think every city is different. Every district is different. Um, you have to look at what's going on in that area and dictate based off the numbers there whether or not it makes sense to open. We shouldn't just blanket the whole country and say everybody needs to open the fuck up that's not reasonable that's not that's not smart and i'm not here to say that what we've done so far has been smart because it hasn't been but what i am saying is it's possible that this could work in certain areas and sure in those areas um there should be some sort of ability to give those places of worship the option to open if they so choose to do so like like you don't have to obviously um but to make a blanket statement and say everybody needs to be able to open up on Sunday. And you need to open up right now is what he said. 
Uh, it's just fucking retarded. Excuse my, I, excuse my language, but it, it doesn't make any sense. And it's frustrating to see this happen because it's almost like the Twilight Zone where it's like, how do people really like think this is a good idea? How do folks really listen to this dude and say, well, you make sense. It's like, bro, this dude told you to drink bleach. <laughs> You're like, hell, it might work. And then he's lying. He is he is lying about taking hydroxychloroquine. I'm sorry. He's lying. He's not taking that shit. He's not. He is not taking that. You cannot persuade me or talk me into the belief that this motherfucker is taking hydroxychloroquine. He's not taking that shit. But it looks good to say, hey, I'm taking it. I'm fine. So it must work. Meanwhile, folks that have lupus are having shortage issues with the availability of the damn medication because other fucking idiots are getting prescriptions to to take this damn medication. It's just it's 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 insane. And 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 the the most insane part about all of it is not even that he's doing it, is that people are buying it and believe it. This motherfucker ain't taking no goddamn hydroxychloroquine. Like, he has not taken that shit, bro. He's not. I'm not saying he hasn't taken it before because he's dumb enough to do it. But you can't tell me he's taking that shit on a consistent basis as a means to stave off testing positive for COVID-19. And then the whole... Fam. The whole shit about him saying, like, uh, I, I, I tested positive for being negative and all that shit. Where he know what the fuck he was talking about? How he got, he said he got tested, but he was saying that he was positive, even though he meant to say he was negative. So everybody was like, so you tested positive? Well, I'm positive that I uh, was negative. It's like, why? Like, read the fucking script. Read the, don't deviate from the script. Just read the script. If I, I, I would be like this. If I was his... I don't know what they call the people, and, and I guess press secretary, which, Lord, she, that's a separate thing. But if I'm in charge of what he says and doesn't say, then I'm like, bruh, from now on, you can't talk if you don't have that script. Whatever, I will write out whatever, whatever. You can't talk unless you have if you walk into the air if you walk into Air Force One if you walk into a helicopter or whatever you walk into and this is press surrounding you if you don't have nothing if you don't have anything from me and telling you what to say don't say a fucking word don't say a word tell him I told you hey Gerard told me not to say nothing to you guys I'll take the hit for that and then when they ask him to be like have you not heard this motherfucker talk to y'all <laughs> like we not doing that so if you don't have anything from me with a script of words to read verbatim, then do not say a word. This motherfucker said, yeah, I've taken hydroxychloroquine. You know, I, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not bad. You know, I'm, I'm taking it. I'm fine. You know, I, I said, you know, I, I, you know, I don't want COVID. So fuck it. I guess I'll take this hydro, hydrochloroquine. It's it's worked out great. Like, bro, stop it. And all this does to me is make things an even firmer reality 
that we're going to see this for four more years. This whole thing, this COVID shit is going to scare people. And there's going to be some dialogue that he's going to come up with that's that's really going to say, hey, man, do y'all really want to transition into a new regime in the White House in the midst of all that's going on here? Or we all let me get we all give me an opportunity to finish this thing out. And people are going to be like, they're going to be scared. They're going to be like, well, you know, I don't know if Joe Biden's going to be able to, which they, they have the right to feel this way, by the way. But they can look at it and say, I don't know if I feel comfortable with how Biden would handle this type of situation. And I just, you know, I'd rather have a devil that I know than one that I don't. You know what I mean? So there's, there, there's no way Trump doesn't try to use this as a tactic to say, hey, you know, particularly around October when, you know, we're draw close to the election. Hey, you know, look at where we were in March and look at the progress we made up until now. That's on my watch. I did that shit. So let me finish the job. We're almost there. We're at the home stretch. We're almost out of this COVID shit. Give me the opportunity to close this thing out. I've sat through this thing through the whole year. And look, look, look at the progress I've made. Even though probably by November, there'll be 150,000 people that have died because we're at like 95,000 now. You can look at it, he may look at it and say, look at where we were then and look at where we are now. Look at the progress we've made. Give me the opportunity to close this thing out the right way. Give me that opportunity. And it's like, all right, cool. But then after that, we still got to for three years and four more months. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's just setting up horribly, horribly for what sounds to me like what is an inevitable re-election in November. All right, guys. Uh, last topic of the day is kind of a, a reset and just to discuss where we are currently with sports uh, potentially returning um, I said sports with some enthusiasm because, Lord have mercy. You know, sports fans typically complain about this time of year. Well, not this time of year. There is a, a, a lull, kind of a dead spot, um, where the Super Bowl ends. And when, for me, you know, you can make the argument about baseball, which, okay, that's cool, whatever. Um, but the Super Bowl ends in February, um, and you got, you know, your basketball, which is cool, when that lasts through about June. So June ends, <clears throat> and then for me, you know, you have soccer, which is great, uh, but in terms of like American sports, the primary sports, after June... I'm not a big baseball guy, so I don't really give a damn. I mean, I'm, I'll follow the Rangers. I'm a fan of the Rangers and all that good stuff. They haven't been any good the past few years, so it hasn't really mattered. But after the finals, there's nothing until football season. And football season isn't really until September. So from June to September, it's like a dead, a dead spot. And... We've gotten that dead spot way earlier than we're supposed to. We're, we should be approaching that dead spot now. We'd be in the playoffs now, NBA and NHL. Um, and the next month, we'd be out of that. It'd be over. 
um, this time next month in June and be over with. Um, but we got that in, we got that in March. So from mid March till now, it's been two months. Uh, we got that damn break early, and it's it's been a dead stop, which has been tough. But um, we got some encouraging news this week. Um, the NHL Players Associated voted on or passed uh, a proposal that will allow for a 2014 playoff. And this shit looks really exciting, man, honestly. Um, in terms of the actual way it will work, in terms of whether it's a five-game series or a seven-game series or what have you, I don't think it's been determined yet. But the way that they have this set up looks really dope. So the way they have it set up is, like I said, it's 2014 playoff. So that means that 12 teams from each conference are going to make the playoffs, so to speak. And the way they have it is the top four teams in each conference. By the way, the, the, the Stars are ranked fourth in the West right now. Shout out. The way it's set up is the top four teams in each conference will play each other to determine the seeding for the playoffs. They're seeding for the playoffs. So just because you're in, in the first place right now doesn't mean you will be when the playoffs start. So I don't think they've worked the logistics out in terms of how it will work. But the way it's set up now, the top four teams at each conference play each other to determine who will be the top four seeds, how they will be ranked, or how they will be seeded come playoffs. Okay? So they're essentially getting what I would say is like a first round buy. And in that first round, they're determining their actual seeding order for the next round. In the interim, while this is happening, the other eight teams at each conference will be playing each other. And so it'll be like a 5-12 seeding, uh, you know, 6-7 or however it is. But the remaining eight teams will be playing. And essentially in that round, the fifth ranked team or the team in fifth place at each conference will essentially be the one seed for that round, right? So five will be one seed, six will be two seed, seven will be three seed, and so on and so forth. It looks great. So as they play that round out, as I mentioned before, the, the top four teams will be playing their round out to figure out the seeding. And then based on how those top four teams finish, that will dictate who they play out of the surviving four teams that end up um, coming out of the first round. I wish I, you, I wish you could, I wish I could show you this because it may sound a little confusing, but out of the the top four teams that are playing out of twelve, they play each other, and then simultaneously the remaining eight teams play each other, right? So out of those remaining eight teams, only four teams will advance. Those four teams will play the top four teams that were battling out for seeding initially, right? Who plays whom depends on how those top four teams ended up finishing out after they played for their own individual seating, okay? So, it sounds weird, but it sounds fucking awesome, though. The only thing I'm curious about is the top four teams playing each other in each individual conference. When determined seating is kind of like a, like a group thing where each team plays the other three teams once, and then whoever has the most points is who, like, it's if they take about points. The way I would assume it would work is, just to make it easier to explain, if I'm the one seed, um, which I think 
in the East is the Boston Bruins. So if I'm the Bruins, right? And I'm not the Bruins. Um, the, no, that's the Bruins. It is the Bruins. So if I'm the Bruins, I'm the number one seed, right? I play, to figure out our seeding, I play the number two team, the number three team, and the number four team. So I'm playing three games. And then based off my results in those three games, I get points, right? So whoever has the most points after those three games against their respective opponents determines how they're seeded to me. That's how it would make sense to me. So they did that, and they have it to where each team plays the other teams once. Then that's how they get determined as far as their seeding. And then to me, they should be, because they made the top four, they should be allowed to rest while the other teams play their way out of that first round. Whether it's a a five-game series or a seven-game series, I feel like as a reward for being in the top four, after those three games are played, you get to rest and just sit out and wait to, you know, wait for whoever else, whoever you play based on how they advance in the next round. I think that would be awesome. I don't know if they're going to do it that way, but I think that would be great. As a reward, you only play three games this round, and you don't get eliminated in this round. You're getting a bye. All this round is to determine where you seed in the next round. And, of course, in that following round would be, you know, elimination potential, right? Right? Based on whoever they play that came out of the first round, out of the bottom eight folks, the bottom eight teams in that conference. So that sounds dope. That sounds amazing. And I think it's, you know, NHL has been doing a really good job of being innovative in a way that could potentially draw more eyes to the product. It just hasn't worked. But I think this will because of just the, the overall starvation of the sports fan currently they'll just consume anything well not anything because i'm not watching nascar still but i think a lot of eyes will be intrigued particularly based on how they've come up with this idea so quickly and it, it sounds very it sounds very thought out and it sounds like it's a plausible thing to do um so i think it's great nba wise they're leaning towards Having all the games be in Orlando uh, at the Worldwide Sports, Disney Worldwide Sports Complex, um, which has plenty of room for it. The only question I would have, and I think I don't think they've figured this out yet, is who's playing? Are we just going for the playoffs, or are we still allowing, you know, regular season games to commence as we work towards playoffs? My personal opinion, I would think that. The, the regular season games would be good because it gives the, te- the teams the opportunity to kind of work their way back into shape um, and, and that they're not just starting cold going in, right into the playoffs. I think one other interesting tidbit that makes me feel like they may lean towards that direction is that the New Orleans Pelicans are making a run to the eighth seed. I think they're like four games away, uh, but they still have the potential to get to that to eighth seed. And I think they would love to have the opportunity to have Zion play in the playoffs. So I think they try to give them the best opportunity possible to jump up into the eight seed. Um, my Mavs have a great opportunity to get into the four seed, but they got to stop letting like bullshit games go by. Um, they've had a hard time. They've lost some games they shouldn't lose, but separate discussion. Um, I'm personally excited. KP's going to be rested. Tim Hardaway Jr. is going to be rested. Luca's hand will be healed. 
having our guys at full strength to be great. Obviously, we won't have Powell because he ruptured his Achilles. Um, but I hope that they'll continue to get Willie Cauley-Stein involved, have him play a more prominent role when he comes back, when we come back to play. I think he could be a great, a great uh, Tyson Chandler-esque uh, addition for us that could really prove to be uh, beneficial in the playoffs. Um, so hoping they make a run. I think they're in the 60 right now. Um, so they got some room to, to make up, but they're right there. Um, so it's a huge opportunity for them to give to the four seed and host of the host. I say host a playoff series, but they're all going to be Orlando. So I guess it don't really matter. They're not really hosting. But I think for overall seeding, it would help them. It gives them a better opportunity to not have to play the Lakers or the Clippers right away. Um, so that's it. I just wanted to provide that context and just, you know, it it feels good to start to get some sort of, I don't want to say normalcy, but you get to see things kind of start to loosen up a little bit. Um, and, and the thought process of having these sports leagues restart is really great and it's exciting and something to look forward to. But I think it's very important to stress as well that it doesn't mean that we're on the other side of this thing because we're not there. And I think people should really be cautious. And I saw something that said, just because it's nice outside doesn't mean this thing is over. And they're absolutely right. Uh, so just be mindful of that. Please be careful, guys. Wash your fucking hands. Uh, use sanitizer. Use PPE if you have it. Be mindful of other people. Please, please, please. Um, but it's not just about you. It's about everybody. So let's do what we can to protect ourselves, protect each other. Uh, thank you guys for listening to this. And I appreciate uh, any and all feedback you guys give me. Thank you guys so much. And until next time, I'm out.